Hello and welcome to another Parents at Work podcast, where we cover a range of topics for the working parent to thrive. All our podcasts aim to offer useful tips and practical examples that support you to successfully balance career, work and family. And we know it's not easy. If you have any questions, please send them to info at parentsatwork.com.au. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Parents at Work Teen Clinic podcast. These clinics are an opportunity to dip into a short Q&A session and ask a question for yourself that may help another parent going through a similar issue. Today's show is going to take a slightly different format because what I've done is amalgamated all the questions I have received about parenting through um, the exam period and also some of the comments and feedback I've had from young people going through those exam periods. So there won't be a Q&A, but it will all be founded on Q&As that I've had in the past. This month's show is all about exam perspectives. It's a very important conversation, and I'm going to start off with a very sobering thought. Gillian Calvert in 2003, she was the Commissioner for Children and Young People in New South Wales. She wrote a report on exam-related teen suicide rates. As a group, these adolescent suicides were successful students with records indicating they set high standards for themselves and worked extremely hard. The period leading up to their death was typically characterised by feelings of overwhelming pressure to succeed, coupled by an intense fear of failure. So, I would ask, where does that start? We've been well versed in test etiquette, haven't we? Do you remember, and I mean not from your head but from your body, the stress of your first spelling test in kindy? How many words could you remember on your list and where you sat in the hierarchy of memory recall in your class? I remember that I worked so hard to remember my spelling words and some of them came easily and some of them didn't. Um, I knew I didn't want to be at the bottom of the achievement ladder though because there was huge shame in that in our classroom even at the tender age of five and six. Needless to say, I ebbed and flowed and sometimes I did well and at other times I didn't. But that is what started me out on the roller coaster ride of tests and exams and I'm sure many of us were the same. So flash forward 13 years and we hit some exams that everyone has spoken about as the big ones, the ones that matter, the ones that means you get into that university, that you'll get that job, that you will complete that picture of your life. And then we tell our children, now young adults, to keep it in perspective, to relax and to just do their best. Well, you can't say something like that and think that it's going to take effect overnight when for the last 12 to 13 years you've been preparing them for this big HSC baccalaureate moment, the A-level moment. They just don't buy what you're saying versus what you have been saying and what you have been walking for the last few years for what society is saying about this time. So it's going to take a little bit of walking the talk and I think it's worth knowing as you listen to this that it isn't going to change overnight but we need to change the conversation and perhaps certainly in my case have a few humble pie conversations saying that perhaps I have been um, uh, setting themselves setting them up for uh, a pressure that actually 
was not an entirely logical pressure. I mean, from their perspective, it's entirely logical to think, if I don't do well, I won't be loved, and I won't be as valuable, and I won't get into uni, and I don't know what I'll do. Their picture of what they think is a successful person is likely to get broken. And when we talk about um, exam pressure, a lot of um, students will actually leave school in year 10 or year 9 because they just don't fit that mold of of recall and exams. And they always call it dropping out of school, which is actually not the case. They are finding a different way to um, to educate themselves. They might be much more tactile learners or visual learners or auditory learners, different, different styles, different schools, different courses. And I'm really pleased to see the, um, the uptake at the moment of more conversations about practical um, work-ready uh, courses. So let's have a look from a young perspective, a young person's perspective, where these mixed messages of, of love and pressure are coming from. Let's start with teachers. Teachers are conflicted. They have got to know your son or daughter over the years and they want the best for them. Um, they want to equip them with all the content, uh, which can I say is enormous coming out of the Department of Education. Um, they have a lot to get through in a short amount of time. And the teachers are always sort of looking for ways to help the students find it easy to remember, to recall. But they also want the students to get good grades for their own school and their own reputation. And for some of them, it's attached to their place of employment that if they get bad grades, then then actually it might affect their security. So there's a massive conflict there. And that does come across to the students. The students pick that up and they've told me time and time again that it's very clear that that pressure is there. Parental pressure. This can come from cultural expectations, where there are subjects that are respected and accepted within cultures, um, but they're also contrary to the natural talents of the young person who squashes their, their natural talents and what their, their body and brain is saying to them, and they say, okay, well, I just have to fit the mold of what's expected from my culture. It can come from all the effort that the parent has put them in to give the young person these opportunities that they feel they never had. It can come from the memories of their own experience with exams and how well or hard they did or how well or hard they worked and actually the outcome of that doing well or not doing so well. And so they're going to do it better for their kids. They're going to ensure that they don't learn the same lessons the hard way that they did. Peer pressure is something that people don't often think about. Um, believe it or not, their grades matter to each other because they're in some schools and in some cohorts and in some countries, um, all the, the grades are balanced against each other. So if you've got someone in the class who isn't doing well, it has the potential to pull the grade down. Um, but if you think about it, and the same can, conversely, if you've got someone doing really well, it pulls, it pulls the general grade up. But we have taught our children to be in competition with each other right from the get-go in those early spelling tests or in the sports fields, you know, like who's going to win the egg and spoon race or the, um, you know, who's going to, whose parent is going to build the best boat in our homework <laughs> or draw the best picture. There's a lot of competition. And then we don't actually teach collaboration in the way that 
would be very supportive at this at these end of year exams and and the the through the um, through the year. What I have noticed in schools is that um, peer peer mentoring, sorry, peer mentoring is starting to really pick up, and um, we are seeing older students in the school mentoring younger students in the school and and uh, teaching them maths or English or French or whatever subject it is, geography history that they're struggling with. There are they're actually looking at uh, more peer mentoring than than teacher student mentoring just to really try and encourage each other to be less in competition and see how we it's a community that helps the young person get through their own pressure now this is a silent one and can be very very poisonous it's one that follows them everywhere they go they've stopped being able to discern sometimes what's their expectation and what's coming from someone else and therefore it can be quite a suffocating and confusing time so what are the coping mechanisms? Well, I would say that coping mechanisms can flip both ways. So a lot of the things that I'll be talking about can be used as a, a tool to support stress and support life at this time, but it can also be, they can also be ones that can take into the extreme and then become uh, dysfunctional and uh, you know, lead to disorders. Um, in society, if we take a step back and in our own lives, what have we used to, to cope with stress? Now, the obvious one that comes to me is alcohol. How often do we talk about needing a drink to get, you know, at the end of the day, oh, I just need this. I just need a drink. I just need a glass of wine to help me relax. Or I just need my beer. Um, the mirroring neurons that are so prevalent in, in adolescence and in childhood um, have been picking all of this up. And they, and, um, and they now believe that actually alcohol is part of a stress reliever. It's just part of parcel of what's in the toolbox. And when I go in, when I've been into schools and asked them about what their parents use for stress relief, that's one of the things they'll talk about. Um, and so it would make sense for them to logically think that it could be a go-to for them. Now, in truth, if if it has been a great stress reliever for you, you might actually consider it that it might be a tool for them. Um, and so you might actually think when they go to a party, oh, they're just letting their hair down, maybe a little bit of alcohol would help. Um, you might not see anything wrong. I'd highly recommend you do your research. Um, don't forget that marketing can make this seem like a really okay way to relax. It does the job. Um, it's very good at it, but you know there are a lot of downsides because it's actually affecting the teen brain that is still developing. So do your research, make your decision yourself. Have a look at a couple of websites like positivechoices.org.au, drinkwise.org.au, and fair fare.org.au. Now, food is, um, again, a really great one that marketing is all over. We always talk about our treats. We should have our treats, what's going to make us comfortable, uh, what's going to give us that little buzz to be able to just stay up and work a little bit harder. Um, my experience is that um, the things that they're advertising, like the high carbs and the high sugars actually have quite a hangover just like the alcohol does it kind of hits you a little bit afterwards and makes you a little bit more ineffective rather than effective so consider what food you have in the home consider uh, make sure that it's nutritious and there's some nutritious options for snacks 
They need to be fast and easy to grab. So it might mean that you cook on the weekend and then you've all got some things that are either in the freezer or in the fridge that are go-tos. Um, there are definitely some um, low uh, sugar hit foods out there that will offer more sustained um, energy, which is what we're looking for. Uh, also, around meal times, meal times are, are very important, particularly in the teenage ages and, and childhood. Often these patterns are embedded in childhood and then they disappear over uh, the teenage years. Having a meal together is a great um, safeguard around this time for both mental and physical health and staying connected with the family. But it could also be a high pressure point. And if eating becomes eating together becomes a point of conflict, then actually it can do more harm than good. So you really want to, to work at keeping the um, family table neutral, not about what you are doing or you're not doing, whether you're a success or a failure, but more about connection and what you're feeling and how things are going and um, just talking about uh, some you're actually bringing some humor to the table, not at each other's expense, may I say. Not, don't laugh at each other, laugh with, laugh together. Be very sensitive to that. Children are far more sensitive than adults are. Um, the eating disorders and disordered eating can actually come up at this time, so it's really worth keeping an eye on what's happening around food. It does lay foundations for lifelong patterns of eating behaviors. Exercise. Oh, the adrenaline and endorphins. It's fantastic. It often gives us the same high that we can get from alcohol, from drugs, from sugar, from risk-taking. It can remind us that we are alive. It can get us back in contact with our body when our bum might be completely numb from sitting on it. Our bodies are communicating all of the time, all of the time. And the more we can stay in contact with those messages from our body, the better the life skill we're learning. So exercise is important. Ask yourself, what kind of exercise am I looking for at the moment? If I'm highly stressed, is a highly stressed form of exercise going to be the best medicine for me? Or would I be better going for a walk or going and doing some gentle connecting yoga or um, uh, a swim as opposed to a high impact class that's actually just going to exacerbate the stress that my body's already feeling? It's a conversation, a conversation with your body, constant, constant, constant. And, and it's a relationship with your body, which leads me so perfectly into relationships with each other. Um, the relationships in your family might be tested during this time. If they're feeling expectation from you, they're actually not going to want to be around you. Uh, things that you do are going to irritate them regardless of whether it's intentional or not. Um, and they might find that their friend that well they will find that their friendships with their their relationships with their friends become more of a support than their relationships with their family because they feel that their friends and their peers are understanding what they're going through better. But also, it might be that they are offering better coping mechanisms than they feel they're getting at home. And I've seen a real split in the um, adolescents or teenagers that have gone through through those um, high intense exam periods about where they feel they get their support and what it looks like. Um, keep the conversation open. If you can listen more than talk, and if you can walk the talk as an example 
of how to cope with pressure and how to cope with stressful moments in a positive way as life lessons, as as things that pass, then that's what they'll see, learn, and they'll be more open to talking with you about it. Drama is sometimes um, more, uh, it actually can be a coping mechanism that they catastrophize and they feel defined by the stress and drama of the event coming up. Now, nothing is wrong with that, perhaps, but it doesn't consider the longer term view of those cycles that we're in, you know, sun and the moon, they come up, they go down, life goes on. And we need to um, remind ourselves first and foremost of that case so that our children actually are able to keep life of big life events in perspective, no matter what their age. As young adults, if they think that they're, uh, that they're reaching goals and just going from goal to goal to goal, it actually doesn't teach them that they are just things that happen in a 24-hour cycle. So the first morning of the first exam will come up and the morning after the last exam will also come up. And we just need to you know, know that there are certain things we're still going to keep doing, those routines, those family routines. You're going to make your bed. You're going to get up. You're going to have a shower. You're going to brush your teeth. You're going to clean your face. You're going to choose your clothes. All of those things just help keep that 24-hour cycle uh, way of living um, a much healthier way of living and, and knowing that there's a lot that you can do for yourself and you're not just ticking a box and going to the next tick the box exercise. Control. They're going to try and control as much as they can because so much of their life is going to feel out of control. So um, what you can do is put a framework around them that means that um, that order that we were just talking about, about you know making your bed, looking after yourself, um, having a tidy room, all of those things will help you. Um, keep an eye out through the relationship that you have with them for when that may tip into obsessive compulsive and a need to keep order because otherwise everything will fall apart. It can be a really good indication of um, the pressure that they're under. So we always need to watch out for where those things that could be um, you know, a way of coping could also tip into something that is not a support anymore and it, and it becomes an obsession. How can we support? We can make the home a safe place. We can be aware of what our expectations are. What are the messages that are coming verbally or non-verbally from us? What is the conflict between the parents in the family at this time? It is really important that you just understand that the adolescent is is working out their own level of stress and coping and if they're feeling like they have to cope with your stress and your arguments and all the stuff going on with you as well it's just not helpful um be open and honest say that you're struggling with things but go and get support for that so that it actually doesn't become something that your young person needs to be as aware of it's a, it has the potential to be a stressful time for everyone so it's not saying to ignore the stress or pretend it isn't there it's saying get support this is a community event enjoy the support that's out there in the community ensure there's nutritious food in the house and um, everyone can get involved in that Value each other's opinions. Their opinion matters. Listen to them. Even if you disagree with it, it's coming from a logical place in their brain. 
based on what they have found as their coping mechanisms from earlier on in their life. If it does seem very dysfunctional to you, actually just question where that way of thinking has come from rather than judge the way of thinking. Offer a balance. Have fun. Laugh. Give them space. Find out how they relax, what they enjoy doing, how they, how they chill out. Offer understanding. Again, don't negate how they're feeling. And um, perhaps don't suddenly think that everything's going to change just because you've listened to this podcast or you've been to a talk. It takes time. We've got to walk this for ourselves as well as for them. But don't consider it as a line. that's something you have to complete and something you have to cross. And see it as something that is a life lesson for how we can deal with stress in our life and how we can offer them um, examples of how to deal with stress in their life. Remember that all behavior is a form of communication and teens are working with a brain that's rejigging to deal with the new requirements of the upcoming independence and the more complex relationships at the same time as constantly learning. For an education system that has a pace and agenda that can't easily bend individual growth patterns. So home needs to be that space where they feel safe and can do all of those things. And in um, when a student feels supported, they're less stressed and anxious and they're in a better place to be open to learning. Just as you, when you are less stressed and you're in a better place, you can offer that support to yourself and to another. Now it's always easier to work on a health and balance model rather than try and fix or address an issue once it's exploded. So honesty and getting support would be my number one tip for this time. If everyone in the family knows that uh, they are loved for who they are and not what they do, then everything is possible. Be consistent in that love. Be predictable and reliable. Talk about um, situations that are happening and why they're happening, not not write off someone for, for perhaps some good or poor decisions that they're making. Don't forget there is so much support offered through the Parents at Work um, website and through the Parents at Work modules. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and we'll catch up with you again next month. <laughs>